Good afternoon. It's a great blessing and privilege to be here and share God's Word. Uh, All of you that I know, I love so much. Some of you I don't know, and I love you too. I hope to get to know you soon. Thankful to have uh, our brethren from Mount Pleasant here, familiar faces. Uh, I'm going to be, first of all, I commend you for whoever chose the hymns. Uh, Those are such special hymns. And uh, if you can't preach after hearing those, you can't, you shouldn't be up here. But my heart's full just from the singing, and I appreciated it so much. If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For sake of context, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. But I'm going to focus in on the last verse of chapter 3. That will be my text. Beginning in verse number 1, Paul writes, and he asks a question, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you to substantiate his apostleship, his authority to preach? He says, we don't need this. You are our epistle. You're our letter written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, But with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, the New Covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit kills gives life. But if the ministration of death, and notice these terms that he labels the old covenant with. First he called it this letter that kills. He says, but if the ministration of death, here's another label, written and engraved in stones was glorious, how glorious that was, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit, the new covenant, how shall that not be rather glorious, more glorious? Verse 9, for if the ministration of condemnation, here's another label for old covenant, ministration of condemnation be glory or glorious, much more doth the ministration of righteousness, new covenant, exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excels. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remains the same veil not taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 
Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with the King James says open face, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the Word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for taking us out of darkness and bringing us into light. We thank you for your beloved Son in whom you are well pleased. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who takes these precious things of Christ and reveals them to us. And we pray now, Father, for the ministration of your Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds. Give us understanding of your Word. Lord, sanctify your saints. Save the lost among us. And Father, magnify and glorify the person and work of your Son in our midst this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our glory is not in who we are. It's not, of course, in what we have. But our glory is in who he is and in what he's done. That's our glory. We might have many things in this life, but Solomon, the preacher, says all of those things are of no eternal profit. You understand that this world, it's a closed system. Everything that's of this world is going to stay here in this world. It's not going with us to the next world. It's a closed system. And none of that is to be compared in any form or fashion with spiritual riches. Someone once said Jesus had 12 apostles and one of them was a devil. And he gave him the money back. So wealth, my point is wealth, material things say nothing at all of what the Lord thinks of us, what the Lord thinks of you. Again, our glory is not in what we have. Wealth or health, our glory is in whose we are. Whose are you today? I'm going to focus in. I'm going to read the last verse again. Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, not like Moses, with unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory by the Spirit of the Lord. First of all, I want us to think of man's original glory. Man's original glory. Man was created. God, man was made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, there's a reference to the Trinity, in our image according to our likeness. And we know Ecclesiastes 7.29 says that God made man upright. That's in his image. God made man in his image. The world has a hard time understanding that, of course, that man was created in the image of God. God created man, you understand, to reflect his glory. And you want to see what man was meant to be? Look at Jesus Christ. That's what you are intended to be by the grace of God, into the image of God. So man was originally created in the image of God. But we know, secondly, that image of God has been effaced. And what I mean by that... It's been marred. 
You know the story of Genesis chapter 3. Something happened to man. In Genesis chapter 3, the image of God was marred. It was effaced. Not just a little bit. There wasn't just like a little dent in the, in the image of God. The whole man fell. When our first father, Adam, our federal head fell, all of mankind fell. And I like to say it this way. He fell on his chooser and broke it. His will is fallen. Man's will is fallen. Your will, as you came into this world, was fallen. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God, remember, he said to man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. But in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve, they died, of course, not physically, but spiritually. And then we get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In a short time, they went from created in the image of God to that completely evil. Jesus said to those unsaved Jews in John chapter 8 verse 44, You are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. The word father there, of course, means you're the first example of that. The first example, like Tubal Cain. Remember, he was called the father of those that worked with metal. Didn't mean he was literally their father, but he was the example of those that worked with metal. Abraham was the father of the faithful. He's the example. He's the first example of those who are justified by faith. So Jesus says to these unsaved Jews, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, the devil was the first sinner. And when we sin, you understand, when we sin, instead of showing forth the image of God, you know what we're showing forth the image of? We're showing forth the image of the devil. We're acting like the devil acted. We're reflecting his image when we sin. So we have the fact that we were created in the image of God. Secondly, that image was marred. We fell in Adam. But thirdly, gloriously, that image is restored in Christ. It's only restored in Christ. Thank God that there is a resurrection of God's image to be found in Christ. Colossians 3, a little bit further from where Brother Jeff read, Colossians 3.10 says, And we have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created it. So there's that renewal that we have in Christ. So I want you to understand that God's purpose in salvation is to restore mankind, is to remake us into his image, into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what our text says. You can just keep focused on verse 18 in our text. That's what our text says. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's God's purpose in salvation. That's God's purpose for you in salvation, to be transformed into the very image of Christ. And I ask the question, how's that going for you? How's that going? Can you look in the mirror and take an honest look at you? How's that going? We know from Romans 8, 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Why? To be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
The foreknowledge of God. That's very misunderstood in our day and time. That foreknowledge, you could almost translate it as foreloved. That foreknowledge has to do with his infinite love for his people. For instance, the Bible says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. God said to Israel, you only have I known of all the nations of the earth. One day we know Jesus will say to the wicked, depart from me, I never knew you. Of course he knew about them. Of course he knew them in that sense, but he didn't know them in the sense of love them, foreknew them. You are not the special objects of my love. So this foreknowledge is not God looking through his time telescope through up through the future to see who's going to believe and then predestinating them to salvation. No. Foreknowledge is God setting his love upon those who are the eternal objects of his divine electing favor and grace. And we see that they will be reborn, they will be remade, they will be restored into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has predestinated them to that very end. First Corinthians 15, 49, Paul there says, As we have borne the image of the earthy, and that's a reference to the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, he says, We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That's the second Adam, the heavenly man the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, I want you to think about this. How wonderful is the reality that you're ultimately going to end up in the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you're headed. That is your destiny. But this is a work in process. It's a process. It's a work in progress for every Christian. Notice our text, again, says that we are changed we are transformed into the same image the word transformed or the word changed in the king james is the greek word metamorpho not sure i pronounced that right of course it's the word from which we get our english word metamorphosis from this change we're transformed we're metamorphosed you you look outside in the springtime particularly you see an old ugly caterpillar And that caterpillar goes into its cocoon. And when it comes out, what is it? It's a beautiful butterfly. Do you realize that that caterpillar, that old ugly caterpillar, he's no more ugly than you and I are in sin. And no butterfly is as beautiful as you and I as believers will be when we're perfectly restored into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our destiny. Charles Spurgeon had a practice that if he, if he had a book that was written by a living author, he liked to go to that man and have him autograph it, sign it for him. Andrew Bonar, familiar with that name, he sent Spurgeon a picture of himself, and he wrote a note in the, with that picture that said, here's my picture, Charles. If you had waited a while, it would have been worth having because we shall be like him. Every Christian, without exception, this ought to encourage us all, will soon be in the very image of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we must be transformed from one degree of glory to another.
That's the process. And that's what we'll focus on here. That's what Paul is telling us here. When we're changed into the image of the Lord, it's not a one-time event, is it? There may be somebody here that's been a Christian longer than I have. I've been a Christian 41 and a half years. This is not a one-time event. It's a process. You must make progress and you will make progress from glory to glory. It's a metamorphosis. In other words, from one degree of glory. I think that's how the ESV translates it. From one degree of glory to another. When I looked at this text, even though Paul doesn't tell us, I asked myself, what are these degrees of glory? What are they? And if this points to steps or stages in this process of being changed from one degree of glory into the next degree of glory, into the image of the Lord, how many of these steps or stages are there? Well, as I thought about this, to me, I can see three stages, if you will, of glory. That, those are the ones that came to my mind. First of all, the glory of regeneration. Or we might say the glory of the new birth. That's kind of our first step in being a Christian. In John chapter 3, the word must is used twice in John chapter 3. First of all, it's used of the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the first must. But before he said that, it's also said of the Holy Spirit in verse 6 and 7, I believe. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he says to Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. You must be born again. The spirit blows where it wants to. You hear the sound thereof. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. But he says, so it is of everyone that's born of the spirit. That tells us, listen, that tells us that the work of the Holy Spirit is just as necessary for our salvation as is the work of Christ. It's absolutely necessary. It was Christ, of course, who redeemed us. Christ worked out and purchased our salvation on Calvary's cross, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that applies that salvation to our lives. And that transformation that initially takes place in a person's life when they become the objects of God's gracious work, that work is so great, that work is so transforming that it can only be described in the Scriptures as a new birth, being born again. We got a lot of little children here. When you look at a little child, I can, I mean, I look at Rachel and Seth's baby, I can see traits of both of you in that baby. And we often can see that as our children. And of course, some of that is simply genetics. But as they grow older, guess what? Particularly the mama, that child's been looking at that face every day for years. And so they learn the expressions, they learn the countenance, and they begin to mirror that. So when the Bible says you must be born again, yes, we might have been like our father, the devil, in sin, but the Holy Spirit comes and works in us, and we become increasingly more and more like Christ. And beloved, that is a miracle of God. 
It's nothing short of a miracle of God. So we can say, and I say, this first glory in this transformation of glory to glory, surely the first miracle is the new birth. That's the first miracle. Often when we see God saving a person, when God saved me, it was really hard for me to understand what was happening. I didn't really know. I knew things were different. I didn't know much theology. I didn't understand very much of the Bible. But in time, I began to look back and see things differently. I began to think differently. I wanted to live differently. Things had really, really changed for me. My desires, my affection, so much so that you could literally say my life changed. God changed my life. I was born again from above. And of course, that's what 2 Corinthians 5 will tell us. Verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, literally a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are new. A lot of things in life are not different. They're not new from one perspective. But from another perspective, when you become a Christian, everything's different. You see everything differently. You, you receive things differently. You think differently. It's all new. That's regeneration. That's a miracle of God's grace. And I believe it is a glory. I believe it's the first glory in this process of our salvation from glory to glory. But the second glory that came to my mind when I was thinking about this whole process was sanctification. We understand that sanctification is growing in grace. It's the strengthening of what God has already begun in our heart and in our life. It's this ongoing process after regeneration. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, I think verse 6, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. This is talking about sanctification. <clears throat> Proverbs 4 and 18 says, the path of the just is as the shining light that shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. If I could graph my life up here as a Christian, it wouldn't be that impressive. What it would look like, I would start down here, and it would be an upward process, but then there would be some downward, and maybe some backward, but then there's some more upward, and then downward, and upward, and backward, and upward. But from here to there, it's an upward climb. It's a work of God's grace. It's going from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing in grace. In other words, grow into that into which the grace of God has begun in us. You know Philippians 2.12 and 13. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I must do that. I will do that. But the next verse he says, For it is God which works in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there's your encouragement. Work it out knowing that God's working it in. What he's given in you, he's going to work out of you. But we're responsible. This is the growing in grace. The fruit of the Spirit. Those are the graces of God, of course. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. These graces of God that are in every Christian without fail 
to some degree should be and must be and will be strengthening and increasing. And of course we must grow in knowledge as believers, but you cannot separate those two things. But you know this, if you've been a Christian for any time, it's easier to grow in knowledge than in these other spiritual graces. Our zeal is often not so gracious, right? And as Vodie Bauckham would say, if you can't say amen, you ought to say oh me. But because it's true. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I'm not putting knowledge down. That's, a, that's certainly a part of our sanctification. But this sanctification is, I think, the second glory in this from glory to glory. So regeneration and then sanctification. And then thirdly, I thought of glorification. This whole process of being transformed in the image of Christ. Glorification. Think about it. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, he says, For our citizenship, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our, I like the King James, it says vile body. They've they've softened that a little bit in some of the modern translations. We'll change our lowly bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You young folks will find this out in time, but our bodies are a losing proposition. The older we get, they're like an old car. The older it gets, the harder it is to keep it running, right? It breaks down more often. It's hard to repair and it's very expensive to repair. But listen, for the Christian, it won't always be that way. Our lowly bodies, not only physically but spiritually, the Bible calls them bodies of sin and death. But what a wonderful thing to consider that one day, One day soon, our body is going to be transformed. Our bodies are going to be changed and fashioned like unto His glorious body. The Bible says that this mortality must put on immortality and this weakness must put on strength. And we shall be like Him. So think about these three glories. Regeneration, sanctification, And glorification from glory, being transformed from glory to glory. One degree of glory to another. First of all, we were in the flesh. Every one of us. We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were alienated from God. We were at enmity with God. But then something happened. If you're a Christian, something took place. A transformation that's so amazing that it can only be referred to in the Bible as a new birth. Being born again. What a glorious thing, beloved, to be twice born. Born again. But then second, we know even after we're born again, there is this propensity in us to sin. Right? Yes, the guilt is taken away. The dominion of sin is broken. The snare is broken. We've escaped. We know that's true, but there's still in us this tendency, this propensity to sin. We know we still have this body of flesh. We still have a human nature that's not yet perfected. We're not in heaven, are we? 
We might wish we were, but we're not there yet. We're still in this world. And we begin, when we're born again, we begin this spiritual warfare. This spirit lusting against the flesh and the flesh lusting against the spirit. We're fighting this good fight of faith. We want to grow. We want to be holy as he is holy. We want to mature as Christians. And when we start out, we don't even really know what that is. I think back when I was a new Christian, (laughs) this sounds silly now, but I looked forward to the day when being a Christian wouldn't be so hard. I just knew, you know, the longer I walk with the Lord, this thing's going to get easier. I got news for you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't get easier, but there's more grace. There's even more grace. You think, I can't go on one more day. I can't make it. There's more grace. And I wouldn't say it gets easier, but it gets more glorious. Because He's more glorious. I so look forward to the day when I wouldn't struggle with sin any any longer. The day when I would feel strong as a Christian. And you know what I learned? It didn't take me too long to learn, but I learned after a while that Christian growth is not strength. Christian growth is acknowledging your weakness. Because when you do that, you cling to the the only one who's strong. That's where strength is. Christian growth, it's not independence. It's not independence at all. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Christian growth is not independence, it's dependence. It's becoming more dependent on the Lord. It's not, Christian growth is not my righteousness, of course. It's Christ's righteousness alone. Christian growth is not me being in control. Christian growth is realizing that he's always been in control. Are you there yet? Is that where you're headed? And of course, thirdly, we look for that day when we will be perfect in the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know, of course, that day will take place at the second coming of Christ. It will all be brought together when he changes our vile, lowly bodies to be made like unto his glorious body. That day is coming. What's the greatest thing about glorification? (laughs) We'll have a new body, but that's not the greatest thing. We'll have a sinless and perfect heart. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more tears. We'll be able to live without sin and be holy as he is holy. And this great change, listen, this great change is taking place in every single Christian without exception. Truly from one degree of glory to another. Well, let's look back at our text, 2 Corinthians 3.18. What is the agent of this great change? How is this going to happen? Who is it that brings us from glory to glory? Well, look what our text says. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is here to apply the salvation that Christ purchased for us. That first glory, the new birth, of course, that's a work of the Spirit. 
Again, John 3, 5, Jesus said, except a man be born of of water and of the Spirit, he cannot even enter into the kingdom of God. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's this thing of the new birth. Is that me? This thing of the new birth is a work of the Holy Spirit. We realize that we need God the Spirit to do what only he can do. You have lost loved ones? We all do. Do you realize it is only the Spirit of God that can really do what's got to be done in the heart of that person? And when you realize that, you will pray. You will pray. God's got to do something. We live, beloved, we live in a fallen and a sinful world. There is brokenness all around more and more that we see every day. And I can assure you the answer is not psychology. The answer is not philosophy. The answer is not political at all. They were talking about this red wave. Beloved, the only red wave I'm looking for is he who washed us from our own sins in his own blood. That's the red wave that we ought to be looking for, for ourselves and for our loved ones. Amen. Except a man be born again, he will not be changed on the inside. But may not, make no mistake, the Holy Spirit can make a person new. Even that person you don't think. You just can't imagine that they could be different. Yes, the Holy Spirit can do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ made effectual by the Holy Spirit of God changes people. So I want you to understand the Holy Spirit, according to this text and many others, he is the agent of change. But not only in regeneration, he is the agent of change in sanctification as well. As a person grows in grace, again, it's the Holy Spirit who is bearing fruit in every single Christian. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. That is happening in every single believer. And it's only the Holy Spirit who can produce those things in us. It's only the Holy Spirit that's going to make you take anything away from what I'm saying this afternoon. If you really understand and it changes you, you can thank God through the Holy Spirit that he showed you, that he taught you. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Have you ever asked yourself this question, is there any good in me naturally or only that which is produced by the Holy Spirit? Well, you can ask yourself right now. I'd have to answer myself, no. There's nothing really good in me naturally. If there's anything good in me that comes out of me, it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said in Romans 7, of course, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Did he really mean nothing? You're the great apostle Paul. You're saying there's nothing good in you? He said, that is in me, you understand. In my flesh, in my person, apart from the grace of God, there's nothing good. That's exactly what he meant. Any sanctification, any right motive, any good about us or in us is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. And he ought to be praised. 
And then, of course, we also see the Holy Spirit is the agent of change in glorification, not only in regeneration, not only in sanctification, but in our glorification. Ephesians 4.30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He's talking about this day when we'll be glorified, this day when we'll be like Christ. We've been sealed. We've been guaranteed by the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. There it is again. The Holy Spirit is the agent in our glorification. Well, I want to look at the activity. We looked at the agent. Look at the activity of those who are changed. Back to our text. In other words, what is it that we're doing when the Lord changes us from glory to glory? What's going on there? If we're being changed from glory to glory, what is the activity? What's going on? Well, one word, our text says we are beholding. We're beholding. Okay, what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. What does that mean? I tried to think of some examples. On our back patio, we have a a guest bedroom over our garage, and there's a window that faces west. And in the afternoon, on a a cloudless day, the sun at a certain height will reflect off that window. And if you're standing there and you get a reflection off that window, you will see the glory of the sun. You will feel the glory of the sun. It will move you because it will burn you. If you behold that window. Some of, us, some of us are old enough to remember the old time cameras that actually had film. Anybody remember those? You actually put a roll of film in there. <laughs> you understand how that works. Those old cameras that film had light sensitive chemicals on the film. And as long as there's no light hitting that film, it remains unchanged. Nothing will change. But when that shutter opens and the light comes in, that film is changed into the same image that comes in there from that light that hits the film. And when God prepares our hearts, just like that film is prepared, when we behold Christ in the gospel and we behold the glory of the Lord, I guarantee you we are changed. It makes an imprint on our soul just like it does an imprint on that film. Jesus Christ is the one whom that camera must be pointed toward when the gospel is preached. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 and 6, excuse me. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That's the light in the gospel, you understand. For God who commanded... The light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of unsaved people in this world who can probably quote more scripture than you can. They might be able to tell you the words of 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses. They might be able to articulate the gospel that way, but if they're not saved, that light is just some objective knowledge to them. 
A blind man can talk about color objectively, but he doesn't really know the subjective beauty of color because he's never seen it. This light, brethren, is to see, to see, to really see the glorious realities of these truths about who Christ is and what he's done. That's the light. That's the light we must have. To feel it, to feel the reality of those things for yourself personally. That when that light shines in, when you not only know the gospel, but you know for yourself the glory of the gospel. You know the glory of God because you've seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. That changes you forever. It exposes you and it exposes him. And that's what you need. That's what every sinner needs. To come to Christ. That's the activity, I believe, of those that are changed from one degree of glory to the next. They see, they behold Christ. Well, let's consider how we behold Christ. Again, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. How do we behold Christ? We go back to our threefold glory in our regeneration, in our conversion. We behold Christ in the gospel. When you were saved, there were many things in the Bible that you didn't know. Many things in the Bible you didn't even know about. A lot of things in the Bible you weren't even concerned with. It made no matter to you. But when God began to deal with you as a lost person, and you knew you were under God's judgment, You were guilty in God's eyes. You were in need of forgiveness. You were in need of peace with God. That's when you beheld Christ. Because there was no other way. You saw Him. You beheld Christ as He was revealed in the Gospel. That He died for sinners just like you. He paid the debt that you owe. It was through His righteousness alone imputed to you that now you could be accepted before God. You saw that. You beheld Christ in the gospel in your regeneration. I grew up going to churches, particularly my home church, till I was 30 years old, 31 years old. They had pictures of a supposed man, Christ, all over the place. On the walls, in the stained glass, everywhere. Listen, I don't want to see Christ in the stained glass I want to see him preach from the pulpit. Amen. You don't need to see him there. I want to see him in the gospel. I'll, tell me about him. Read me about him. Preach to me about him. Sing to me about him. I don't need to see some picture, nor do you. We need to see him in the, in the scriptures. That's how we behold Christ. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you put the, connect those two dots? By the gospel to obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We behold his glory in the gospel. When God opens your heart like he did Lydia in Acts chapter 16, it's like God opened the shutter of your camera and he let the light of Christ in and it leaves an imprint on your soul forever and ever. You're never the same. How'd that happen? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I tried everything else. I tried to be good. 
I tried harder to be good. It was never good enough. And if that's where you are, just give up right now. You'll never be good enough. God will never be pleased with just you. But I can tell you this. He's always most pleased with His beloved Son. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. So you better flee to Him. He's the city of refuge. You better get into Christ. And you will be accepted of God. Accepted in the Beloved. That's how we behold Christ in the gospel initially. But secondly, in our sanctification, we behold Christ in the scriptures, of course. When a person's lost, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you don't have to be a theologian to be saved? I sure wasn't, and I doubt if any of you were either. But you do have to hear, and you do have to believe the gospel to be saved. The Bible is very clear about that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To who? To everyone that believes. The Jew first and then the Gentile. So as the gospel particularly displays Christ for our conversion or our regeneration, the scriptures overall put Christ on display for our sanctification. That's how we grow up. That's how we grow in grace. Listen, when you get up in the morning, take the scriptures, read them prayerfully, and ask God to show you Christ and make you more like him today than you were yesterday. You should do that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What what is that? What was his mindset? What was he like? Take the scriptures and learn of him how meek and gentle he was. Is that you? Can you honestly say, I'm like Christ in that area? If you're not, then pray. Ask the Lord to transform you by renewing your mind. We see Christ in the Scripture. We see how He treated other people. We see how He loved those who were not lovely. We see how He prayed. We see how He was completely dependent on the leading and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in His own life. And we think we can go without praying. We think we don't really have to have the Spirit. We, we can get this done. No. His faithfulness, His obedience, His humility. Lord, teach me those things. Show me those things in the Word. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Of course. Remember a few years ago, all these people, I don't see it too much anymore, but they were wearing these bracelets that had WWJD on them. You remember that? What would Jesus do? Listen, the only way you would know what Jesus would do is to take this book and find out what he did. You don't have to have a bracelet. You've got to get into the book and see what Jesus did. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Feed your soul. Our text says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that same image from glory to glory. So I hope it's kind of clear. In regeneration, we behold Christ as he's revealed in the gospel. In sanctification, we behold Christ as he's revealed in all the scriptures. But then thirdly and lastly, in our glorification, we will behold Christ face to face. Isn't that a wonderful prospect? That one day you 
You, brothers and sisters, will see the one who gave his life on Calvary for you. You'll see, just like you see Brother Kevin sitting over there, you'll see Christ. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? I don't know. I think of that hymn, All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. I don't know. I don't know if I can say anything. But I know this. One day I'm going to see him. And it won't be him shaking a finger at me. It will be, well done, Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's where we're headed. It's a wonderful prospect. John picks up on this, 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's a miracle, isn't it, in itself? But he goes on, he says, Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. That's what it's going to take to be finally and fully like him. Isn't that just what Paul says in our text? As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed. We're transformed into that same image from glory to glory. John's teaching the same thing Paul teaches. And the same thing the rest of the scriptures teach. I don't know. I doubt you know. We don't know when he will appear. But we do know this. When he does appear, we're going to be like him. Because we're going to see him. That's what it's going to take. In our conversion, in our sanctification, by faith we see Christ with spiritual eyes. And there's a real spiritual change that takes place in us. But in glorification, beloved, we will see Him with our physical eyes. And there will be a real physical transformation for us. Now we see through a glass darkly, right? But then face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. This isn't just New Testament. Job knew this. I don't know how he knew it. The Lord revealed it to him. Job 19. I know, he says, that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand on the earth on the last day. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, my eyes, he says, shall behold, and not another. He said, oh, how my heart yearns within me. David said something similar. Psalm 17, 15, he says, as for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake with thy likeness. Why did Job learn, yearn for this? Why did David so long to behold the Lord's face? I'll tell you why. Because they wanted to fully and finally be like him. Nothing else would satisfy. If you're a Christian, you should be fully assured and fully satisfied that God accepts you today because of the works and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I hope you have that assurance. But let me tell you, for every Christian, as you grow older in the Lord, there will be this deep dissatisfaction in your heart that you're not more like Christ than you are. 
I thought it would be the other way around as a young Christian. It's just the opposite. The more you know, the more you know you don't know. The more glory you enter into, the more you're like Christ, the more you see that you're not like Him. And you want to be. That's just the grace of God. When will we, be, will we be satisfied, beloved, when we sleep in death and we awake to behold his face? Then we will be perfect in righteousness and we will be like him. So just to close here, I want us to understand from this text, who is it that changes us? The Holy Spirit. What are we doing when he changes us? We are beholding Christ in the gospel. What is the Christian life? We're being changed into His image and we're going from one degree of glory to another degree of glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the agent of this change, the Holy Spirit. And what's the ultimate goal for us? To be just like Christ. Not divine, we'll never be that. But holy as He is holy. Amen. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of the Lord. If you're lost today, there's a lot of kids here. Maybe you haven't understood anything. Maybe you've understood something. Maybe you heard something. But let me speak to you just for a moment. If you're not a Christian and you know you're not truly a Christian, I plead with you to behold Christ in the gospel. There's only one who can rightly represent you before the Heavenly Father. And look, He's ready to receive you. He's inviting you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The question is, do you feel any heaviness in your life? Do you feel any guilt in your life that I'm not right? I can't obey my parents like I want to. I can't obey my parents like they expect me to. I don't delight to come to church. I just go because my parents want me to. And you feel guilty about that. You have a burden. He says, come to me. Give that to me. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll give you my righteousness. And you can stand before God at the last day sinless and holy and glorious in my righteousness. So I tell all of you that are outside of Christ, repent of your sin, repent of yourself, repent of any foolish attempts to make yourself good enough for God to accept you. Put all your hope in Christ to save you from you, to save you from your sin. He will have mercy upon you. And not only that, when he saves you, he will begin to transform you from one degree of glory to the next and to the next by the Spirit of the Lord. What a wonderful prospect for God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your blessed and holy word. Thank you that Christ is revealed in the gospel. Thank you that he's revealed in all the scriptures to us. Thank you for the workings of your Holy Spirit that takes the blinders off our eyes, that takes away stony hearts, gives us hearts of flesh, and reveals Christ to us. Lord, sanctify your people today. Bring us on, Lord, to the next degree of glory. Make us more like your Son. 
Make us sick of sin. Lord, make us long for holiness and righteousness that we find in you. Lord, we look forward to that great day when we will see you face to face and all the heartache and the sorrow and the disappointment of this life will be past. Help us to be still and know that you are God. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.